As we've been going through a series, Knowing the Truth About Jesus, uh, particularly through the Gospel of Luke, uh, we've encountered a section in, in the account of, of Luke, of the life of Jesus, where Jesus is bombarded with questions, and then he also, in turn, gives other people questions as well. And many times I've talked with people, and as they are going through various phases in their life, they're saying, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God whatever it might be. And it might be a tragedy they've gone through or something they didn't quite understand, maybe some things they wanted to argue with God about, and they just, I can't wait to get to heaven to ask Jesus this. And as we think about that, those who were here when Jesus was here the first time, they did ask him questions. And some of them were honest questions, and some of them were questions that they just want to trip him up and somehow embarrass him and get the people who were following him not to follow him. And, and we need to realize as people hear about Jesus, they come with to him with all kinds of issues and whether they're trying to discover is he who he claimed to be or are they really uh, trying to somehow make his message not believable in other people's ears. Uh, this has been going on throughout history. You know, as God speaks, are people listening and then are they believing? And, and Jesus already encountered some questions and uh, some of them were a little bit upper story and some were right down where people live. He was asked theological questions such as, well, who, who gives you the right to, to speak authoritatively? It, it's almost a question I've ever had that asked when people's kind of mad, somebody might be mad at you, is, you know, who died and made you God? Anybody ever get that question? And as, of course, if Jesus was asked that question, he says, I'm going to die, <laughs> you're going to know I am God. But they asked the question, well, well who, who gives you your authority? And they asked it in a question, well, who gave John the Baptist his authority? And of course, uh, he asked back on that, and they couldn't answer that question. He says, I'm not going to tell you where I got my authority, because even if I tell you the truth, you will not, what, believe it. And, and that's really the issue as we think about coming to God, is if God gives us the answers, are we going to believe it, and then are we going to follow what he has to, has to say to us? Then he moved on, and he talked not only about a theological question, you know, who gives you the authority to speak powerfully into our lives and tell us things we don't want to hear, he was also asked uh, political questions. Can, do we have to support, have you noticed there's an election coming up pretty soon? Okay, and what's going to happen, uh, was it November 6th, people are either going to be happy or they're going to be what? Sad, depending upon who wins or who doesn't win. And as you think about that, uh, Jesus gave us no option. doesn't matter who comes to positions of authority wherever you live. You are to render to Caesar, or the one in charge, what Caesar deserves, and to God what God deserves. And, and so we are, we are called to support those whom, whom God has allowed to come to positions of authority. And, and they didn't know what to say after he said that. And so then uh, what happened, spiritually or religiously, uh, two groups of people that normally were at odds with each other, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they said, how can we trip Jesus up? And, and the Sadducees believed one thing about heaven, and the Pharisees believed another thing about heaven, and even though they violently disagreed, said, well, you try to trip them up. And, and the Sadducees, and they were known as the Sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in heaven, uh, they, they tried to ridicule what what Jesus had been teaching about heaven and said, well, how can you believe in heaven? And they went on to explain that. And of course, Jesus said, well, if you believe there is a God, and they did believe there is a God, how can he be the God of, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because God is the God of the living, not the dead. And so Jesus laid people out as he responded to questions, but also sometimes he would, he would push people into a corner by asking them a question. And of course, what he did, he said, well, just who is this Messiah? Who is the son of David? And then he, what he spoke to, well, if, if it is what the Bible teaches, he has to be more than just a man. And, and that's the critical question we should ask of all the people we really care about. And, and just to engage in spiritual conversation, well, who, who is Jesus to you? And hopefully we all have a response that has some understanding of who Jesus is when he came to, to be and, and what to do. Well, as he moves on, he also talks about money. He talks about uh, dealing with issues of, of where we live. But all of a sudden, then, then the bigger question came up. And it comes from his disciples, his followers, and that's what we're going to look at today. And if you have your outline, the end of the age question, what's going to happen in the future? And I think all of us at times would like to have that. Have you noticed just recently that the mega million lottery has gone up a little bit? Anybody would like to know the numbers? Anybody would like to predict that out? You could earn $1.6 billion if you could somehow get the lottery right. Uh, also, if you don't particularly want to go that far with it, you know, there's another one that's only $620 million that you can win and, uh, if you just get the right numbers and get the right ticket. And if we can predict that, our, our life would be drastically changed. Of course, if you've read anything about the people who do win, obviously, sometimes their life changes not for the better, but for the, for the worst. 
And what God wants us to realize is that his message to us is for us to, to be, be ready for what is happening now, but also what's going to happen in the future. So in the midst of the detail, and I, as you can know, I'm, I'm speaking fast already, all right? In the midst of what I want to share with you is I understand what, what Jesus said in response to the question that was asked of him by his closest companions. Here, here's the application. Are you ready? And if I were to personalize it, I'd say, am I ready? But even to broaden out a little bit, you might say, well, I think I can answer that question for me. But, but if we really have the heart of God, are the people you care about ready for what's going to happen in the future? And, and so we need to understand the heart of Jesus was not just to dispense the message. He wanted to rescue people. He wanted to find lost people and, and deliver them from what not only was what they were encountering right then, but what was going to happen, what's going to happen in the future. Not might happen, but will happen. And so we're going to try to pick that up this morning as, as Jesus encounters that question. And as I was wrestling with this actually over the last number of weeks, there's a lot of controversy about the details of, of Jesus coming again. Uh, some of you are immersed in that, some are not. Uh, and what I'm going to try to do is, is explain plainly as I see how Jesus unveiled it. I mean, you can, you know, in my, my younger days, okay, the days were uh, the late great planet Earth. Is that how it's going to all happen with Hal Lindsey and, and recently with uh, the LaHaye books, uh, Left Behind, you have that kind of picture. You also have people writing about the last apostle and a whole different kind of view of, of the end times. But what we're going to do today is just look at what Jesus said. And, and just like the apostle Paul, when he was teaching um, he, he counted people uh, really getting their act together by taking out the things that he said and just buying it all, but say, well, just check out the Scripture. Just read it carefully and cleanly. And Is that really what it's saying? Because we're all accountable to, to what does the Bible say, and, and there are things that are more confusing and more complicated than others, but, but we want to get the message that he wanted to portray plainly. And the one thing we could all agree upon is Jesus unveiled what's going to happen in the end is he wants everyone to be, fill in the blank, ready. He wants us to be ready and people we care about to be ready. And if we don't care about others being ready, then where is our heart? And if we're not concerned about that question, uh, where is our heart? And so that's what we're going to try to deal with this morning. As we read throughout the Gospels about Jesus speaking into the lives of people then, and if we're going to understand what God is saying to us, we need to understand what he's saying to them. He had a couple things he was speaking to his covenant people, Israel. The chosen people of God, not because they were any smarter than anybody else or more spiritual than anybody else, but God sovereignly chose them to dispense the message of God through them. And as they had known of God, and as God had revealed truth so clearly to them, they were just like us, and, and sometimes we can understand the truth, but my mind is made up, don't confuse me with the facts. They want to go down their own path. And eventually, when we keep saying no to God, there are going to be consequences. And as we look throughout the pages of Scripture, or basically you could say as we look throughout the, the pages of history, his story, we see God with the people who know more than other people know because of his revealing that to them. He holds them more accountable. And so as we pick up what now I'm going to try to race through some of the things I was preparing this day is, is, first of all, I want you to understand that Jesus speaks to what will soon happen to Israel. This is what's going to happen in their near future. If you have a Bible, uh, turn the Gospel of Luke, and if not, just follow along as I race through some things. But Jesus did speak plainly about what was going to happen when he went to the cross and died and rose again, and there was going to be a period of time right after that. What was going to happen to Israel? Was there going to be any consequences for them rejecting their Messiah? You can understand the Romans and all those who were non-Jews not quite getting Jesus, you know. This is a pretty amazing person. I mean, he does the miraculous, and people follow him, and he, he feeds people when they're hungry, gives them sight when they can't see, and they're going, wow, this, this is an amazing person. I, I have no idea who he is, but that's a pretty amazing thing, what he does. But Israel 
should have understood it. And so in Luke chapter 19, we have this. And when he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. And, and I want you to understand this. When, when we think about the judgment of God, when we think about the reality, the Bible, whether you believe it or not, says there's a heaven and there's a what? There's a hell. And, and some people get the picture of God that, <laughs> that God delights about sending people to hell. And in many ways, he doesn't send us to hell. We, we choose to go there. But when that is going to be the experience of some people, he weeps over that. When the judgment of God comes about people, he, did not, he does not delight in the punishment of those who reject him. He saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, which is himself, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, you're not getting it. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and him and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground, and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation, which is the visitation of God to this planet. And he was speaking about something that we can look back historically, know it, it is true, that in 70 AD, Titus came in and wiped out Jerusalem, and took this temple that had been built for four or five decades, marvelously being one of the seven wonders of the world in terms of its, its magnificence, in terms of the intricacies, the building, and all the coverings of that. A place of worship for God's people. But God does not dwell in the buildings made by hands, but he, he dwells in the lives of people who surrender their lives to him. And there was, there was, there was horrific destruction of the symbol of God's people being God's chosen people to follow him. But as we think about that, there was confusion that rages in even the closest companions of Jesus about, about what was going to happen because they just could not imagine, well, how, how could all these magnificent stones that were gathered together and built upon as the place of, of worship, the temple, how could that happen and when is it going to happen? So not only does Jesus speak about things that will soon happen to Israel within the generation of those people who were living right then, but, but he speaks to another generation. And he really speaks about their confusion, and we find that in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 5. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, this is Jesus, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. If you're getting any kind of picture like that, um, many of you have, you know, visited Washington, D.C., and you, whether you took the tour or not, you, you probably saw the White House, and that is probably one of the most secure places in all the world in terms of trying to protect that particular edifice, building. But let, let's say all of a sudden someone told you, I, I want to let you know that you, you see everything you see here, none of it will be here. It will be utterly destroyed. Now, now when, when you think about that, we think, well, if that happens, not only is that destroyed, probably everything else in our world is going to be destroyed as well, right? Maybe some nuclear holocaust or, or just World War, whatever number you want to put to it just happens, and everyone is killing everybody else. Because look at the White House has been torn down. And, and so when they hear these words about, from Jesus, you know, I, I, as I understand the passages in God's words, what he's saying, they're, they're thinking, you're, you're talking about the end. You're talking about the end of the age. You're talking about you're coming back again. And so as I understand, when Jesus deals here, whether it's in Mark 13 or Matthew chapter 24 or Luke 21, which is called the Olivet Discourse, in case sometimes you hear things, you go, what do you mean by the Olivet Discourse? Well, discourse is a sermon or a message, and it was done, uh, you know, <laughs> in the Olive Gardens, Okay in a place where they can look at Jerusalem. And what he does here, he prepares them for what's happening next. And what he does is he, he tries to somehow take their confusion and, and put it in perspective. And so what I would say here, not only did Jesus speak to what will happen to Israel, and we can look back, and one of the reasons we believe the Bible is true because the things that it has already predicted has happened. Um, on, on Saturday morning, we had the men's breakfast, and and. We were eating together, and all of a sudden, uh, someone come up to me and say, hey, did your ears get bigger? 
Is that the nice thing to say to a pastor? Did your ears get bigger? You know, and, and uh, I said, no, I just got a haircut, all right? And um, when I was getting a haircut, the interesting thing about that is I was getting my haircut, and I got in a spiritual conversation with one cutting my hair, and, and uh, it was an interesting conversation, okay? Um, she believed she had the spirit of, or she had discerning spirits, and she really believed that she could predict things. In fact, just to convince me, she went on and proceeded to tell me all the things she had predicted that already had happened. And, of course, if you're going to convince someone you have the ability to predict the future, you've got to tell people when you actually did that. Um, and I won't go through and preach that sermon, but, you know, I have some doubts whether she can predict the future, right? But I know that Jesus can. And he wants to tell us about what will happen, not just to, to uh, perk up our, you know, our interest about end times, but he wants all of us to be what? We're going to start all over if you don't get this one right, right? He wants us all to be what? Ready. And the question is, are, are we ready? And, and are we living that way? We're ready. We're ready for, for what happens next because God wants us to be ready. And, and so what I want to say to you, and, and I, I'm racing because I'm, I, 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 well, I won't tell you why. Okay. Um, Jesus speaks not only what will soon happen before uh, to Israel, and it did happen. Jesus speaks to what will happen in the end, not only to Israel, but to everyone else. So now I guess the circle has gone a little bit wider, you know? And now it, what he's talking about, what's, what I understand, is going to be something we're all going to experience. And in the Olivet Discord, which is recorded in three, different, uh, all, three of the Gospels, I, I think we get a clue to what he's saying here, um, that's not quite as clear in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 24, 3, same introduction about the temple. As he, Jesus, was sitting on the Mount of Olives, that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. And if you go with us to Israel, Lord willing, in November of 2019, you'll, you'll be there on the Mount of Olives. It's a magnificent way of looking at God's uh, handiwork in Jerusalem and what he has done in the past and is going to do in the future. The disciples came to him privately saying, and there was actually a small group that came to him, uh, tell uh, Peter, James, and Andrew, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, tell us when will these things happen? Now, if you stop right there, in some look at this is that what the disciples did is ask him three questions. When will these things happen? And that would be that the temple will be ravished, okay? And, and what will be the sign of your coming? So that would be another question. Well, uh, how do we know when you come, uh, come again? Now, as I look at this text, and I've looked at it from so many different angles and read so many different people talking about that, really what they had unveiled to them when they asked the question is not only what they needed to know, but what they didn't know and what they got confused. What they were confused at is when the temple gets destroyed, that's going to be the end of the age. That's when the White House has been hit by a nuclear bomb and all the world is being destroyed. But they were confused. The end of the age wasn't going to happen when... In 70 AD, I mean, we're still around, right? All right. It, it wasn't going to happen then, and Jesus didn't come then. And, and so they put these all together, but they weren't going to be together. And, and really at the heart of their question was the third phrase, and at the end of the age. So in the Olivet Discourse and the message of Jesus on what's going to happen in the end, he really just speaks to that. I mean, he has talked before about the temple being, being raised and no one stone is left uh, unmoved. But really what he's going to speak about is what they were really thinking about. When is it all going to end? You know, when's the, what's the final chapter? How's the, how is this, this story going to be concluded? And so he speaks to that. And, and really what he's speaking about, he's speaking about uh, the, the major theme in Scripture, which is, the kingdom of God or the rule of God. You know, we're, we're living in a rule that we believe um, that God has created and he has made, and we believe that if there is a God, he is sovereign or all-powerful, and he, he can do whatever he wants at any time. And that's why, why one of the greatest questions in people's hearts and minds is, well, if, if God is all-powerful and he's all-good, then why are a lot of bad things happening? particularly if they happen to you or to people you care about, right? A lot of bad things happen to good people. Um, and, and, and we wonder about that. How, how can you believe in a good God, an all-powerful God, and all these things happen that, sh- that we think should not happen? Nod your head like you, you've thought about that at times, right? 
And so really the issue is if God is ruling, it sure doesn't look like he's doing a very good, okay, right? It's all right to talk in church if I ask you a question, all right? If, but if I don't ask you a question, you've got to be quiet. All right, but it, you know, it, the issue is, right, isn't that true? Well, if God is ruling, he doesn't rule very well. And so there's some confusion about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus had already said, let me, and let me get this clear. Let, let me explain this to you. There's, a, there's, a, there's an inauguration or there's a preview or a prequel or there's a, a, a personal involvement in God's kingdom now, but it's, it's partial compared about what's going to happen in the future. All right? And you can pick that up a little bit in these passages. I'm moving fast because I'm already behind. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, sounds like kind of where we're at now. Well, when this is all going to happen, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming. Not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. It's almost like the question you want to personalize, well, is the kingdom of God happening right now? Do we know it's here? But then he says this, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And what did he mean by that? He said, well, well there's an there's a experience of the kingdom of God you can have right now because the king is here. Jesus is here. And, and really what he was speaking about, it, the issue of the, the kingdom of God ruling now, it's, it's ruling in the lives of people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. Now, that kingdom, even that kingdom, is a partial manifestation of God's kingdom because sometimes uh, he, he's, he's living within my life. I've, I've given him opportunity to, to call the shots, but sometimes I, I take it back. Do you ever do that with Jesus? Okay, you, you're Lord. You're the ruler. You're in charge. You're my God. I want to follow you. And then something happens, and I want to do something differently, right? And I don't follow him. But there's going to come a time when I'm in his presence, I will be fully submitted to him to the point where I, I, I won't sin anymore because I'm in his presence. For now we know in part, but then we will know fully. When we see him, we'll be like him. We'll be as he is. But we live in a world where the challenge of this world is we have the, the challenge of the world, which always kind of mold us into its value system. And then we have our own flesh, which is that selfish part of us that still remains from our old life. You know, and then we have the enemy, the evil one is always trying to tip us and mess us up. But what I want you to understand is that the kingdom of God is now in, in, in the sense that you can have God rule, be the Lord of your life now. And then it's the challenge of, of making that happen on a daily basis, of surrendering your will to him. And when you mess up, you fess up, and then you keep moving on. But then he went on, and, and then he talked about, hey, but there is a, a fullness of his kingdom. Luke 17, 24, for just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky and shines on the other side of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So he wasn't talking about his first coming, he was talking about his second coming. And, and it's going to be obvious because it's going, to, it's going to be exploded around the heavens and people will see it and experience it. So there's, a, there's an inauguration or a preview or a, a partial experience of the kingdom of God now, but then there's going to be a full experience of that, and you will see it obviously. When's that going to happen? This is all the introduction, in case you're wondering. We haven't got to the message yet, all right? Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. The first part of this, Jesus has risen from the dead. He, he spends 40 days confirming that he had risen from the dead. You know, it wasn't some big hypnosis that somehow people got their all minds mixed up and they thought they saw Jesus, but he w wasn't really risen from the dead. And so he confirms it by appearing to people. We have at least 13 occasions of it recorded. And one time there's over 500 people. And he's also giving them um, some lessons. You know, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus taught them about what was going to happen in the future. And so they're all, they're all really motivated about that. And then we pick up the response. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, and when you're in the presence of Jesus, the great teacher, you often have a lot of questions, right? So they ask him a question. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? So now they're looking back and saying, look at all those promises that God had given his covenant people that he would rule and reign and, and it would be here on the earth and all the things that, that are destructive will be, will be destroyed and, uh, by the hand of God and, and even the animal world, you'll be able to play with the cobra and the lion and the tiger and you, as you're a parent, you're not worried about that and it's because God has even it all out. 
Is this the time when the kingdom of God is, is going to be experienced with God's people? And, and then he, just as Jesus said, it is not for you to know times or epics which the Father was fixed by his own authority. So we are not God's watch, which I left at home. Okay, we're not God's watch. We're not trying to predict the time it's going to happen. But what we're to do is to live it out. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in the local area, Jerusalem, and the surrounding counties, and also Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Because our job is to be ready and help other people be ready, right? That, that's, your, that's your call. That's my call. And the biggest call there is in your own relational world, people you know and you care about. Help them be ready. And if God leads you to some other place, you just start the same thing all over again. You just get to know people and the place he sends you to and, and be concerned about them and help them understand the, the message of Jesus. But in verse 9, he says this, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That'd be a pretty amazing experience. And they were gazing intently to the sky while it was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. In case you didn't quit it, because I, I get it because I was reading fast, is that they were with Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus said, okay, this is it. The class is over, and he starts ascending into the sky. He's floating on one of those clouds, okay? And they're looking up there and going, whoa, never seen this happen before. And so they're confused. And so sometimes when we're confused, God gives us an answer. Sometimes we're confused, said, just wait later, you'll get the answer, right? But he sends two white men, and those men are probably what? Angels. And, and what gender were they? Men. I just want to let you understand that. Okay. Well, okay. We won't, well, I won't preach that sermon again. All right. So two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. When Jesus comes again, he's going to come in the what? Clouds. I don't know. That's about as plain as you could say it. And, and, and so we're looking to the future at the end of the age when Jesus returns. And when he turns, people are going to be able to see him. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to come from the heavens. Now, in, in case that wasn't clear, in the last book of the Bible, what's the, what's the name of the last book of the Bible? Revelation. Not revelations, it's not plural, it's in singular. Revelation 1.7 says this, Behold, he, reference to Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, mourn over him. So it is to be. And then there's a closing statement, amen. Remember earlier I was going to say this, we, we, we sang that song, uh, amen, amen, I'm alive because he's alive, right? I live because he lives. Amen, uh, in various parts of the New Testament, is translated this way, truly. This is true, I live because he lives. That's what you mean when you say amen, amen. This is true, this is true, this is true. And and what is true here is that when Jesus comes, he's going to come in the clouds, and every eye will see him. Now, there there is what's called, in biblical interpretation, apocalyptic language which means that there's metaphors and similes and there's symbols to try to interpret and things like that. But when, when God uses direct, clear statements, this is not symbolic language here. This is, this is language we, we could all interpret in a, just a concrete, literal way, right? And so when Jesus comes again, uh, people are going to see him. He's going to come just like they saw him take off. So what am I saying here? It's Jesus speaks with some detail, and we're going to look at it in a moment in the passage that describes his all the discourse. But as we need to understand is in many prophecies, there's a, there's a near type of fulfillment, but the ultimate fulfillment is in the future. So going back to the beginning of the message, and I, I know you all remember what I said in the beginning, right? That Jesus, first of all, talked about what's going to happen to Israel. And, and you know, I, I'm fascinated with what God has done with his people, but Tell you the truth, I'm usually more fascinated what God is going to do with. Come on, you're all as selfish as I am. I'm more concerned about what God's going to do with me, right? But what, he, what we do understand, some of you turn the page, I'm not finished yet, all right? Is that, is that when, he, when, when he does it to people in the past, it gives me a clue of how he's going to do it in the future. And it should give me confidence that he, he, he plays out his plan, that what he prophesies, he's going to do. And, and so he gave a picture of his coming in judgment, 
to Israel, and he's going to come in judgment again. And then we're going to see, but his plan is, is not just to bring judgment because he weeps over those who receive his judgment, but he comes to rescue, to redeem people in the day of redemption. That did not happen in 70 AD. This is not what they were looking forward to. Jesus coming in and putting us, you know, God bringing a hammer down on his chosen people. That's a symbol that God doesn't mess with our sin. But in the future, the judgment's going to come again, but it's going to be a day of redemption. And we'll see that in a moment. And so as we look in the, in, the, in the Old Testament and you're going through Isaiah, which is a tough book to wade through a little bit, but you'll see the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, has been used in the past, but as I look at that, it's, there, there's some partial fulfillments in the past, but it really looks forward to the full fulfillment of the day of the Lord happening in, in what is described in the book of Revelation. It's pictured pretty visibly in 70 AD as God brought judgment on Israel, but it's, it's going to be a time like no other time. Those who go through that period of judgment that God said is going to happen, we all need to be ready to see what God wants us to be doing now and preparing people for their future. All right, so let's, let's start the message. Turn your Bible to Luke. In Luke chapter 22... Jesus begins to give them some details about what's going to be happening. And he's not speaking so much about what happened to Israel in 70 AD. You know, he's not, he's not trying to indicate the timing issue, but he's dealing with the what's going to happen. Because he wants everyone to be ready that God has laid this out. Luke chapter 21, I'm sorry, beginning at verse 7. They... Question him, Jesus saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, because they were confused about this, he's talking about, okay, I'm going to tell you about the end of the age. See to it that that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them when you hear of wars and disturbances. Do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. So all kinds of things are going to be happening in your world, but you need to understand that it's because they're happening doesn't mean it's going to happen right at this moment. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from the heaven. But all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and the prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. And so he's talking about, as this happens, I want you to know that things are going to multiply and the things you see in nature, the hand of God, the acts of God that people can't control, have you realized, it, it was an interesting name for the last hurricane that brought so much devastation. It was Hurricane Michael, Michael all right? You know, and, and one of the things that happens when hurricanes happen or earthquakes or whatever it might be, we, we realize as much as we know, we can't control it, right? We can predict it's going to happen, but we can't control it. And he said, look, it's going to happen. And I believe if you want to put a timetable, this is that when Jesus starts the time clock, that I believe God gave detail in Daniel... There's going to be a seven-year period in this first three-and-a-half-year period. All that kinds of things are going to happen, but they're going to continue throughout the whole seven-year period of time. When Jesus is going to come again and that time of Jacob's great distress happens, and these things are going to multiply, and people are going to be aware that in the midst of living life, there are so many things that we can't control, and that will be God's object lesson in saying, look it, you can't control things. And even when... Uh, a great world leader, we know him as the Antichrist, comes on and he, he solves the, the problem in, in the Middle East. And, and wouldn't someone be pr- pretty popular if they could somehow solve the problem in the Middle East? And he, he brings peace for a while in the land. But even in the midst of the peace in the land, there are things happening all the time because God is trying to get people's attention. Even when things go well, there are things that go poorly. Have you discovered that? And it'll happen in a multitude of ways during that period of time. But what that does is just gives people who are living at that time an opportunity to be who realize now that they had missed it. Now they, they put their faith in Christ. I want to help other people understand and be ready for the one who is coming. 
And he says, you'll be brought before all kinds of people and you'll have opportunity to give testimony to what you believe. Verse 14, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand and defend yourselves for I will give you an utterance and wisdom toward uh, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives. And in many ways, that was pictured a little bit in 70 AD, but not to this level and degree. And he's saying that the people who are living that time, they're going to they're have to decide, are you, you going to speak a, a word of testimony to me, or are you going to fall down the path everyone else is going and, and live lives uh, not centered on, on God's truth of coming again, but you're just going to live your own lives. And, and so this, this is what they're experiencing in that time. And, and just realize that you know, things are happening all, all the time where where people are not ready for what's going to happen naturally. But if that's true in this day, how much more true is it going to be in that day? I was up early this morning. I was reading, a, a, it, was a, it was a news flash. And he said, not if it will come, but simply when it will come. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And, and what were they referring to? They were something that's going to happen in Mission Viejo. Oh, that's kind of close to where I live. You know, I, I can't tell when I go from one city to the next. Anybody like that? You know, I mean, this is just one conglomerate of cities. And, and what it was, it was saying, the big one is coming. And what's the big one? An earthquake. And, of course, they had a reason they wanted to say they wanted to sell you some insurance. But, I mean, the idea was is that are you ready for the, not the one that might come, but it's going to come? Are you ready for the earthquake that's going to happen in your lifetime locally? And, and that's what Jesus was doing. Now, throughout the time when Jesus ascended into heaven after he died and rose again. He said, look, at the, the end of the age will come. And it's not our business to pick out when that's going to happen. But he said, let me describe to you what's going to happen when that does happen. It's going to be life as it's always been in the sense that there's going to be famines and there's going to be plagues and there's going to be wars and there's going to be earthquakes. And it will intensify. But this is just to let you know that, that the message of Jesus is urgent. It's always been urgent. But now, the last moments are coming, and we need to do everything we can to get that message out. In Matthew chapter 24, and this is one of the reasons I, I believe this is really looking to the future, not to the past, is that at that time, the message of Jesus, of the kingdom, will go out to every corner of the earth. Everyone will hear the message. And if you're all aware of what's, what's happened throughout church history, the message is gone everywhere, but not everyone has heard yet. There are, there are certain tribes, certain language groups that have not been able to hear the message of Jesus in their own native tongue. And so the mission endeavor of the church is to go to the far corners of the earth and get the message out to every single person. But in that day, God is not going to leave it just for us. It says that there's going to be an angel, a heavenly message, that will preach the gospel of the kingdom to every corner of the world. And then also the, he'll, he'll raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls here on earth? And the message will go everywhere. And, and so we need to realize that, that God wants everyone to be ready. And the only way for people to be ready is to know the message of the good news of Jesus. And that's what gospel means, the good news that Jesus came to rescue people far from God and bring him to himself. Let's move on. Um, I don't even know if I stated it. In the end, there will be, those living will experience the worst and the best of times. The worst of times is going to be obvious. The best of times, they're going to experience the power of God and the lead of God in such demonstrative ways that they, they won't be confused that, that God is alive and well because he's moving in their lives. Secondly, in the end, there will be the mocking of the true God, the abomination of desolation. God's wrath will prevail. In Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through uh, 24, it says this, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, which was pictured in 70 AD, but not to this degree, then, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountain, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country, country must enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that, it, that things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to the people. And, there will be, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled under the foot by the Gentiles until the times of the fullness are fulfilled. 
And really, again, there's, we could spend a month of Sundays in this, this one chapter. But what, what he is saying here is, look at the time where God is, is moving outside of Israel is the time of the Gentiles. When is this going to happen? When the fullness of time for the Gentiles has ended. Is that, has that happened yet? Of course not. God is working through the churches of this world. And there are, there are those of, of Jewish descent that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But God is now working through the church to present the gospel to people. Well, when that time is ended, when God comes back and brings, as described in Jeremiah, that it's the time of Jacob's distress, that's when the end will come. But in Matthew chapter 24, it, it, verse 15, it even gives another very specific thing, is, is when this happens in Jerusalem, there will be the abomination of desolation. And what that is, the picture has happened in the Old Testament as far as with Antiochus Epiphanes and after Daniel chapter 7 is that there will be a desecration of the temple of God as it's been rebuilt and they'll put a false god on there to worship. The Apostle Paul tried to make that plain in 2 Thessalonians and in that he described what's going to happen in the future. I think in your in your notes it says First Thessalonians, but Second Thessalonians. He says this, Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. And so he, he's speaking about the future. And he says, So that you will not be quickly shaken from your composure or to be, stirred, be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to effect that the day of the Lord's come. And, and, and things have always been difficult for God's people in various corners of the world. They say, well, there must be something wrong with this because we missed, we missed it. We missed what you were going to be doing. And, and I really think God's going to rescue his people before he brings on this judgment upon this world. And, and have you missed it? And he said, well, let me tell you why you haven't missed it. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come until the apostasy comes first, the falling away, and the man of lawlessness, which we would describe as the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That did not happen in 70 AD. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now? For in that, for in, that in his time, he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So there's going to be a significant event that no one can misunderstand is that when in the middle point of these last seven years, there will be a person who exalt himself to be worshipped. And Revelation describes that in detail. And so as we think about what's going to happen in the future, we need to understand that it's going to be the worst of times and the best of times for people as, we, as people encounter God in a real powerful way. But destruction happens throughout the world. But we need to also realize that when the, when the end comes, it will be one in which the true God will be mocked, but God's wrath will prevail. In the end, the Lord will come in judgment and redemption. Look at verse 25 through 28. There, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, this dismay among nations and perplexity of the roaring of the, the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see, and we, talk, we read that earlier, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So in the midst of great destruction and great pain and suffering, God will come to redeem people, to rescue people. There will be people just like in our day that will either turn to Jesus or turn away from him. And so we need, like, this is what's going to happen in the future. And if we really care about people, we want them to be what? We want them to be ready. That, that, that sometimes we think about, you know, God's judgment or his holiness or his disciplining hand is that, you know, it's, it's like anything else. If, um, you know, I guess true confection is here. Have you ever dr- driven a little bit faster than the speed limit? Okay. Um, have you always been caught when you did that? Most of the time we're not caught, right? And the more times I'm not caught, the more tendency I have to keep speeding a little bit faster than I should speed. Because look at it, it can't be that bad. I, I drive this fast all the time and no one pulls me over. 
And, and that's how we view a God, is that, look at, look at, look at all this time. I've never, I've never had God get, kind of come down upon me. Well, it, there's going to come a time where we will realize that God has been patient with us. So much so, he wanted to rescue us. But the clock at times in the future will be ticking. But we need to understand in the midst of God's wrath coming and judgment, redemption is there. I'll try to end this fairly quickly. Then he told a parable. Behold, the, the tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you will see it and you know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when, when you see these things happening, I recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation shall not pass until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away by my words will not pass. The whole idea here is I want to say to you, if you look at these other passages in Matthew 24, uh, is that when this happens, people will not miss it. You know, I could, I could probably tell you on a weekly basis times where I've, I've been going down one direction and I, and I missed it. Uh, Matt and I were going to a conference uh, with our association of churches, you know, and I, I, had, I, I, I went old school, you know, I, I printed it out and, and Matt was on his phone and, and so we made everything until we, we missed the off-ramp, okay, which was about a half-hour journey, you know, which should have been right then. We were, we were late to our meeting. We missed it, right? Because, what, what did, did, you know, we thought we were looking, but we missed it. There, it'll be impossible to miss it when the end of the age comes. There'll be things happening in the, in the skies. There'll be the appearance of Jesus. And no one can say, I, I, you didn't make it clear enough. Because it will be clear. But where does the application come in? This is the last section, beginning at verse 34. So Jesus, at the midst of this, I, I, I want you to be prepared about the end of the age. The end of the age is going to come, and it's going to be the worst of times, it's going to be the best of times, because God's going to move in a powerful way, but it's going to be the worst of times, because it's going to be like no other time in all of history. I, I, I want you to know when the end of the age comes that there'll be the mocking of the true God to the point where someone will set himself out to be worship, but God's wrath will prevail. In the end, we think about judgment. So, well, why would God do this to people? Because it's the means by which redemption will happen. People will be drawn to himself. Well, well some people kind of be sleeping at the wheel, and it's just, you know, unbeknownst to them, maybe they had ADD, and they, were, they kind of missed it. No, no, they're not going to miss it. It will be obvious to all. So, so what should we do now? And what should we do then if we were living during that time? Be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. So he's speaking to them then in terms of how they should understand, but he's speaking to us as well. If, if we're a, a true believer during that period of time, we need to understand that, that uh, I would put it this way, in preparation for the end, live like you're a believer. And, and those words, which we don't usually use a lot of time in everyday language, don't live in dissipation, which, but don't, make, don't make your life a waste. Make it matter for something. You know, drunkenness. Hey, don't be on the, under the influence of anything else other than God. You know, be, be, be not overwhelmed by the worries of this world. Have you noticed that sometimes we worry about the things that really don't really matter? Man, it happens to me all the time. And then, and then something bigger comes up. You go, why was I worried about that when this is happening, right? So live like a believer that, that we believe that God is in control. After the election of June chapter, January 6th, will, will, will Jesus still be on the throne? No matter who gets elected. Now, it's important we ought to be involved in the process. I hope you, you should vote. You should be involved in that. But when it happens, we can still trust, live like a believer. Secondly, I put it this way, make, make sure you're, you're a believer. And the day will not come on you suddenly like a, like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. Which basically is saying, look, it, it's not going to be one of the things, you, I didn't see this coming, Right? Have you ever stepped in something you shouldn't have stepped in? And you go, oh, man, I should have been looking a little bit more carefully. I just put my foot in, and you let your imagination go, all right? <laughs> and what he's saying here, look at, don't look at the future as something that's going to trap you. I'm trying to warn you. If I knew where that was, what was, I just stepped in was there, I wouldn't have stepped there, right? I'm warning you so you won't step in it. And then finally, realize that you can experience the strength of God now. 
praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of God. So in the midst of encountering life now and for those in the future, look at, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I can handle that. Or, and that can happen with issues you're facing right now. And, and, and you can't maybe on your own, but with the strength of God, you can handle what? Anything. Uh, you always remember all those verses of the month, right? Luke 18, 27. But he said to them, the things that are impossible, people are possible with who? God, that's what he's saying here. How can, how can anybody go through this? Hey, if you have God's strength, you can go through anything, right? And he wants us to live that out now. So, so we think about what does it mean to be ready? It means to, to live like a believer, like you really trust God, that he's in control. And that's, that's really what this is all about. God is in control. Secondly, you, need to really, you, you better make sure you are a believer. Don't, don't step in something that you didn't see. This is going to happen. Are, are, you, are you ready for it? And then make sure that you, you understand there's strength of God to go through anything. So what's the point this morning? Are you what? Are you ready? I have a fascinating story to tell you that I don't have time to tell you. But, you know, if you think this is unbelievable... You think that <laughs> this is this is uh, this is this is kind of uh, cartoon land, right? This is kind of this is someone Stephen Hawking. You know who Stephen Hawking is? You know he, he's the you know he just died, but in, in he, just one of his books that he wrote before, before he died. So a book came out that he wrote after he died, but he has a whole picture of what's going to happen in the future. You think this is crazy? Yeah, listen to what uh, the smartest man in the world wrote about what's going to happen in the future. Now, you can, you, can, you can believe what Stephen Hawking is predicting or what the person who gave me a haircut this week was predicting <laughs> or what Jesus is predicting. I, I think I'll take the third option. And, and the message is clear. Even if we disagree about some of the details, and I got more details I could throw out that, that I think, it, you know, how it's going to play out, but this is how Jesus said in this sermon. And I know I went long. But the question for us simply is this. Are we ready? And are we passionate about helping other people ready, get ready? And really the message is simple. The message is that, that God loves us. We messed up. Jesus came to clean up our mess when he died on the cross and rose again. And then we must choose. We must choose. Do we want our mess cleaned up? Do we want Jesus to invade our lives or we, we follow him? As imperfectly as we do that, but we want Jesus to rule and reign. We want him to set up his kingdom in our lives. And we do that by simply telling him that's what our heart's desire is. 